Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's podcast is called Multiple Sins and Testing. So guys, what I'm going to do today is speak to sins that sometimes we miss or the ones that are more subtle. You know, some that are the sneakier ones, the sneaky sins, I call them. And often these are the sins that arise out of certain circumstances that blindside many at times without them realizing it. And also what I'm going to do is lay out that in most of the season we have been wading through that sometimes God is testing. Remember that God does not tempt us to sin, but he can and he does allow us to go through certain things so as to test us on what we're going to do. And the reason being is to show us where we need improvement. Now certain sins such as adultery or idolatry, I'm not going to cover today because I've covered those at a pretty great length starting back in March with a podcast titled, Are You Really Walking in His Ways? And some of these I also covered in a podcast I recorded last year titled, What is a Refining and Why? And for those of you who are new to Innocence Redeemed, I'm going to link to those up on the blog, or you can find them simply by scrolling through previous episodes on your favorite podcast app. But I felt it was important to revisit some of these as the Lord put it on my heart to talk about them. Now, in this podcast, I'm going to be using multiple translations. I'm going to mainly be using King James, New King James, Amplified, New Living, and sometimes, and more rare, NIV. But as always, I encourage you to take notes so that you can look up the verses in your own time and whichever translation works best for you. All right, so let's get started. And guys, some of these I will expand on with points and others I've talked about quite a few times before, so I'll just let the word speak for itself. So let's start with pride. Proverbs 11.2 When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. James 4, 5 and 6. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4, verse 11. Believers, do not speak against or slander one another. He who speaks self-righteously against a brother or judges his brother hypocritically speaks against the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And that brings me to my next point, judgment. Now, judgment as we know is condemnation of someone. And it can be done with the tongue or it can be done in silence. For example, you might confess a sin to someone you think you can trust, and you should be able to do that without being judged, but then they play avoidance afterwards. And what they don't realize is, though you may have sinned, if they're condemning you even in silence, then they're judging you. And I know this goes on because I've had it done to me many times. You know, Jesus said, if another believer sins against you, Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. 
Now you'll note when Jesus said, if the person listens and confesses. And you know, can I be honest, guys, in what I've observed, the main reason 99% of people do not confess their sins to one another is due to fear of being judged. Or they feel like they're not being heard. You know, like no one's listening. So they don't see a point to bother in the first place. And I know it's happened to me in the past. And, you know, in the times we live, it makes it very hard to establish trust. This should not be going on in the body right now. And, you know, they want to come clean. They want to tell someone they need prayer. You know, James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the correct way we should be doing it. You know, they confess their sin, we hear them, we understand the guilt and the pain, and we pray for them. You know, when we stop and think about it, we hear all this news about the coming revival, or that the revival's already started. So, if we can't even do it amongst ourselves, how do we think that we're going to cherry-pick who we're called to preach to, and decide whether we get to or not based upon what they've done or their appearance? You know, guys, Jesus gave this example when he washed his disciples' feet. John 13, 13 through 17, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And so 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And you know, to that, you might say, well, Ray, you don't sound very patient sometimes when you reprove, rebuke, or exhort. You know, guys, I don't want to veer too far off topic here, but let me tell you something. God sends who he needs to so as to reach a specific group of individuals. You have to understand, and I'm more explaining this for new listeners. I come from a background of alcohol abuse and sexual sin. And that's the gentle way of explaining it, okay? I am not proud of many things in my past at all. I was very worldly before I returned to the Lord. And how I returned to him is he threw me into a wilderness. And I am well aware of where that sin gets you. And sometimes, especially in this late hour, the reality is some need a house to fall on their head to point out what they're doing wrong. And the reason for that is because of the way this fallen world has brainwashed or programmed so many, you know, to give an appearance that certain things are okay when in fact they're not. I mean, guys, just look at everything. What's down is up, and what's up is down anymore. You know, evil's called good, good is called evil, and it goes on all day, every day. You know, it's a spiritual slumber taking place. And on the topic of judgment, that is not a judgment. It's not too hard to notice it. And don't even get me started on the various chemicals that are in the food, which aren't helping with the slumber either. You know, the food's become bioengineered, they're spraying the heavy metals in the air, they're putting it into the water. You know, it goes on and on and on, guys. It's all evil. And, you know, let me tell you, 
it has not helped that the church has somewhat had a hand in the slumber. You know, it's become this do as thou will rather than we need to be doing what pleases God. And the point is, would you rather have someone tell you or wait and see what happens? Because let me tell you, that's what I went through. And at times, we don't understand how God's discipline proves his love. And you don't want to wait until God does it, because in my personal experience, it can seem cruel and unusual at times. All the while, he's reassuring he loves me, but you'll think to yourself, it doesn't seem like it, but that's how he does it. He refines out the sin. God loves all of his children equally and chastens them. And in that, he will use who he needs to in order to reach the one or several who are on the wrong path. And sometimes who he sends is a sign to shake them awake. And sometimes you have to get a little heavy-handed, not because you want to, but because you have to. You know, the point is, sometimes the gloves need to come off. Not all the time, but sometimes. Because the truth is, guys, we're running out of time. You know, the Bible, in many places, talks about spiritual blindness. And just because you say something in a strong tone does not mean you're condemning the person for eternity for what they've done, or what they're in the process of possibly doing. No, what you really would like to see, if you care enough, is that they're going to give their life to Jesus, that they're going to turn from those sins, because then you know you've done your job effectively. You know, Jesus gave the parable of saving the sheep that had fell into the well on the Sabbath. And what many seem to forget is that Jesus, too, had righteous anger. You know, he flipped over the table of the money changers. He wasn't politically correct about it. Remember that God knows the true intention of the heart, and we should not confuse passion with anger. But this business of you're too preachy or you talk too much, guys, if we're doing that, honestly, it needs to stop. You know, that's criticism, and whether it's judgment or merely an opinion, it doesn't matter because it doesn't help. You know, the fact of the matter is God is raising up his remnant, and he is preparing them according to what they are called to do. You know, God does not want anyone to perish, but to come to repentance. We need to remember that, and we need to realize to an extent he's going to use who he needs to to reach a target audience. And you know, on that note, when I look back on where I used to be, I think about the hosts I began to listen to over a decade ago. You know, real men of God like David Wilkerson or Steve Quayle back when Steve had his nightly program on the Global Star Satellite Network, and I'd listen to the archives. And you know what I liked about them? That they told the truth no matter even if some of it was a bitter pill to swallow. Because not only was it being related biblically, but I was also learning the truth of how wicked this world truly was and how fallen it was. And you know, personally, if someone had not shaken me awake with the cold hard truth, I may not have gotten it. Because when you've been in years of carousing and fornication, you can and you do become spiritually blind and numb to it. You know, you get to a point, you don't even think you're doing anything wrong or realize what you're doing wrong until someone points it out. And the bottom line is that sometimes that's what's needed. You know, it's what the doctor orders. You know, Luke 531, it is not a healthy person that needs a doctor, but the sick. You know, guys, I grew up Catholic. And let me just tell you, for me, going to Sunday Mass was a chore. I mean, I'd be sitting there so bored 
that I would be entertaining thoughts of what I wanted to do after church or where we were going for brunch rather than paying attention. You know, in other words, I was bored to death. And, you know, from what I remember, they did not preach on or explain sin all too much. You know, it was more, oh, you sinned? Here, just confess your sin to the priest and all will be well. And let me just tell you as a teenager, there are certain things you are not going to just confess to anyone, okay? I think all of us know that. And how can you confess something if you don't even know it's a sin to begin with? And furthermore, it's almost like you begin to think that you can keep sinning as long as you talk to a priest. You know, it's like you went to Sunday school, or in my case, it was on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, and you learned who Jesus was and that he died on the cross for our sins so that they may be forgiven and he was resurrected. But the true meaning of sin and repentance was never really emphasized. And so what happens? A pattern begins. You know, well, as long as I confess it, I can sin. And then you don't even know what the sins are, so you don't even know if you're sinning. Much less know what you ought to confess. And, you know, even though I made all my sacraments, the bottom line was it really didn't do anything for me, at least not in the immediate. Because when I came of age, when I turned 21, I moved out from home. I went into the world. I moved closer to my work, and I went out and I party-hardied, sometimes till sunrise. Now, before that, though, on the flip side, I was living in Florida at the time. This is back in the 90s. There were... Baptist churches everywhere. And I remember the few times I attended one and they did talk about sin and repentance. So much so at times, you really did feel godly sorrow. You know, there was this one in Tampa. My uh, friend's mother worked there as a teacher. And I'll never forget, I went there one time and I mean, you would have thought just breathing was a sin with what the pastor was teaching. You know, does your child listen to rock music? You better solder the dial to the, the Christian channel. You know, you would. You, you thought breathing almost like, you know, you were afraid to live almost. You know, at least as a teenager at that time, that's what it felt like. But you know what? They were right. They were right. They were right because we don't realize just how much we can be influenced by the wrong things. Music being one of them, if we're not careful. And so what is godly sorrow? Well, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Remember, guys, love not the world, nor the things of the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So, godly sorrow leads to salvation. And with much wisdom does come sorrow, and that sorrow leads to repentance. And so, guys, the bottom line is, If I can accomplish that while even having conviction myself, then that means the message is doing what it's supposed to do. And that's a good thing. You know, that means God is doing a work within you. Guys, there's been times I go back and I listen to my own stuff. And I'm like, did I say that? I'm like, that that was not me. That was that was God. You know, there's things there's things I'll I'll go back and revisit months down the road, and I won't even remember that I said it. And it convicts me. So guys, now that I've taken that little trip down memory lane. I want to get back on point. Where it comes to judgment, we as Christians do not have a right to condemn one another. And the danger in that is you're trying to do God's job for him. Now, that's the first thing. And 
he can put you through the same circumstances, recompense, or test you heavily in the same areas. And let me tell you, it's not pleasant to go through any of that. You know, the attacks, testing, and the trials are not fun on their own anyway. No refining is pleasant. And you don't want to be inviting more of that when you could have handled a circumstance with a little more humility. And so anyone who is prideful enough to think they can judge, God will humble you if you won't learn to repent yourself. You know, we're supposed to edify and encourage those weaker in the faith. We're supposed to accept and encourage and edify. And why are we called to do that? Because if that person is not as strong as you or they just found the faith, the danger is they could fall. And I know so because I have experienced it. And when it happened, only God was able to help me. Because guess what? When I was going through my stuff, when I was in the wilderness, nobody wanted to know me. Nobody loves you when you're down. You know, I talked about the testing at the beginning. And that's still ongoing right now. And let me just say, don't judge when someone is under strenuous testing and trials. Don't judge them if they're being attacked and they slip up in sin. We need to be really careful because not everyone passes those tests with flying colors when they're being refined. But it shouldn't indicate that they're a bad person. You know, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, Jesus said, Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority, as though assuming the office of a judge, so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others, when you are sinful and unrepentant, you will be judged, and in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out the judgment. Judgment will be measured to you. Why do you look at the insignificant speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice and acknowledge the egregious log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, that is a play actor and pretender, First get the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Moving on, 1 John 1, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now we move on to John 8, 7. And by the way, this is when the woman was caught in adultery, and the Pharisees were trying to condemn her, and Jesus told her to sin no more. So when they continued asking him, they being the Pharisees, he, Jesus, lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then we have Romans 2, which is covered under the impartiality of God. Therefore, you have no excuse or justification, every one of you who hypocritically judges and condemns others. For in passing judgment on another person, you condemn yourself, because you who judge from a position of arrogance or self-righteousness, are habitually practicing the very same things which you denounce. And we know that the judge of God falls justly and in accordance with truth on those who practice such things. But do you think this, O oh man, when you judge and condemn those who practice such things, and yet do the same yourself, that you will escape God's judgment and elude his verdict? Or do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience in withholding his wrath? Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance, 
That is, to change your inner self, your old ways of thinking, to seek his purpose for your life. But because of your callous stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are deliberately storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will pay back to each person according to his deeds, justly and as his deeds deserve, to those who by persistence in doing good seek, unseen but certainly heavenly, glory, honor, and immortality. He will give the gift of eternal life, but for those who are selfishly ambitious and self-seeking and disobedient to the truth, but responsive to wickedness, there will be wrath and indignation. And speaking of impartiality, guys, how many of you know or knew that favoritism is a sin? It's true. Favoritism is a sin, believe it or not. And if taken too far, it can become idolatry. And guys, I'm not going to get into idolatry today because I've already covered it to a great extent in other episodes I've worked on, but it is possible to idolize someone. You know, just like idolatry, favoritism, or partiality, it's a sneaky one. You know, essentially what favoritism is, is when you honor one brother or sister over another or give them preferential treatment on a continual basis. And, you know, guys, we've all done that at one time or another. Like I said, it's a sneaky one. We've done it whether we realize it or not or want to admit it or not. But let's review what the word says. James 2, 1 through 13. My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality, and that is toward people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. For if a man comes into your meeting place wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in this good seat, and you tell the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on the floor by my footstool. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with wrong motives? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and, as believers to be, hires of his kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you, in contrast, have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress and exploit you and personally drag you into the courts of law? Do they not blaspheme? the precious name of Christ, by which you are called. If, however, you are really fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is, if you have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality, and that is prejudice or favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as offenders. And by the way, partiality can also take place in racism. That goes on too. So, need to watch all of that. But going on in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law, but stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become guilty of transgressing the entire law. And by the way, whether one would know it or not, you can murder someone's spirit too. You know, Jesus said, woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. But, you know, continuing on in James 2, verses 12 and 13, speak and act consistently as people who are going to be judged by the law of liberty, and that is the moral law that frees obedient Christians from the bondage of sin. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, but 
To the one who has shown mercy, mercy triumphs, that is, victoriously, over judgment. And you know, guys, some of you have been following me for a while, may remember that I talked about this somewhat in a podcast I recorded a little over a year ago titled, What is a Refining and Why? And for those of you who don't know, in that podcast, the character, whose fictional name was Allison, was very down. And she had been in a lifestyle sin, and she went to church to get support after having gone through a lot of hard times. And when she got there, rather than anyone helping her, they instead sneered and were judging her by her appearance. And, you know, moral of the story and what Aya was speaking about in that podcast is she left the church without being saved and took her own life later that evening because she was very hurt. Romans 12 verses 9 through 13 say, But let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. And you know, in that scenario with Allison, the ladies in that church, they did none of that. They were in their own little clique and snickering at her due to her appearance. So not only does that relate to the verses I just read from James 2, it also ties in with pride, whereas they thought that they were too good to help her. But they were actually engaged in judgment and favoritism. You know, like I just said a little bit ago, God takes that very seriously, especially when someone's hurting. I mean, when you stop and think about it, it's like you're adding an insult to injury. And we need to remember that God has no favorites. And if he has no favorites, who do we think we are to behave in that way and carry out favoritism? You know, it's a very serious question that we all need to ask ourselves because at one time or another, we've all done it, sometimes unknowingly. But moving on. Next topic. Gossip and slander. Proverbs 11.13. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Proverbs 10.18. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Psalm 34.13. Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. And by the way, the definition of guile means skillful deceit for anyone who doesn't know. Moving on to the next point, lying. You know, God tells us in the Ten Commandments, we're not to bear false witness. Exodus 20.16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Colossians 3.9, Do not lie to one another, for you have stripped off the old self with its evil practices. Proverbs 12.19, Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Proverbs 12.22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 19.5, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Proverbs 26.28, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You know, guys, based on Proverbs 26.28, as you know today, I've shared some personal details about myself. 
you know, these are so as to relate examples, but I've experienced Proverbs 26, 28 in my personal life. You know, I've had people tell me they love me, I'm awesome, a good friend, or whatever. But the moment I tell them one thing they don't like or they get offended, I'm thrown under the bus. And I'm sure that's been done to many of you. And even if I reflect and come to realize that I did do something wrong and I apologize, it doesn't negate the fact that they basically told me what I wanted to hear all along. And then suddenly the truth comes out about what they really thought of me all along. Sometimes you get the silent treatment. You know, this is what I mean by this fallen world and the way it influences people. And there's a spiritual slumber. You know, it's this cancel culture. And now we're canceling one another. And, you know, it's heartbreaking when someone does that and then you're left trying to figure out what happened. And if you're already going through a difficult time, you know, such as trials, that has the ability to really hurt someone. And that's what Proverbs 26, 28 means in the latter half when it says a flattering mouth works ruin. Because what someone says and what they do are two different things. And it pretty much reminds me of Psalm 62, 4, where it says they praise me to my lips but curse me in their heart. Because in that regard, I look at it like this. If I were such a great person in your life, we would settle our differences and both of us would turn the other cheek and forgive. But were we ever friends? Truthfully, were we ever friends? And even if we once were, now that you've cursed me and told me what you really think, how am I able to ever regain that trust in you again? I also look at it in a pattern where they've made time for everyone else, but not for me. So not only are they lying, they're also engaged in favoritism in that regard. And that's not a judgment. It's knowing someone by their fruits. And when you see a pattern of unreliability... It's almost as though God is allowing you to see it so that you know the truth deep down so that when a separation begins or it happens, it doesn't come as so shocking. And, you know, as humans, it still hurts, though. And here's the thing. You must forgive the person who sinned against you. And that's the tricky part, because when you really love them and you felt like you were living a lie, you still have to forgive so that that healing can take place. And remember, the Lord forgave you of your sins, so you must forgive them too. And you know, many of you know, there's a lot of marriages like this too. There are many who got married for the wrong reasons, and now they're separating. You know, they essentially lived a lie for years, and it's even more complicated when children are involved, because it's almost like it's a form of collateral damage. And it has the capability to pit the children against one parent or another. And it's sad because it can be confusing to a child, a young child especially. And if kids are not involved, and it's only the man and the woman, it's usually because one feels taken for granted or finds they were never loved. You know, there's a lot of marriages that were conceived out of lust. And in some cases, there's abuse, either emotional, physical, or both. And either way, it works ruin in both people's lives. And so, guys, now you know why when I've said before that if you have complications while you're single, it's better to work those out first and not get married right away until you know you've got those things under control because you don't want it to be for the wrong reasons because the results can be disastrous. But, you know, the majority of bad relationships are just that. They're built on lies. 
And as a result of wrong intentions when the marriage began, they simply don't have a strong foundation. And here's the thing. If both are Christians, what's most confusing about it is as new creations in Christ, we're supposed to get rid of that type of sin. And we shouldn't have lived a lie to begin with. We're supposed to know better. Not only is the lie to one another in a relationship, it's a lie to yourself and it's a lie before God, especially if you know better deep down. You know, Ephesians 4.25 says, So then put away lying, and each one should speak truthfully with his neighbor because we are parts of one another, and that is in one body. You know, Zechariah 8.16 says, and it's cross-referenced with Ephesians 4.25, These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth with one another, judge with truth, and pronounce the judgment that brings peace in the courts at your gates. You know, if there's lying, then there's strife, there's division, there's confusion, and that's the opposite of what God intends. There's no love in lying, not only because someone doesn't really care about the other person, but also if we're all parts of one body and there's lying, how can we coexist peacefully? You know, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't demand its own way. Well, if you're not demanding your own way, why are you having to lie about it? How can there be any unity? You know, that's something to think about. And what I've laid out here today are just two examples. There's several others. Now, remember just a short while ago where I paraphrased 1 Corinthians 13.4? You know, just a refresher. Love is patient, love is kind, and doesn't demand its own way. Sometimes a test is to try the resolve of both individuals and whether there is something hidden that shouldn't be. It can also test forgiveness in the person who the sin was committed against and how they respond to it. You know, do they too have an anger issue or demand their own way? Have they been lying to themselves? Is there any bitterness or resentment there? Is there unforgiveness? Is there jealousy? Which brings me to my next point. Coveting jealousy and envy. Exodus 20.17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Deuteronomy 5.21 says, You shall not covet, that is, desire and seek to acquire, your neighbor's wife, nor desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, or his female servant his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You know, it could be someone else's wife. It could be a car, for example, not necessarily a donkey, you know, if we want to go into modern times, because people don't really keep donkeys anymore. I guess somebody out in the country might, but you know. And your neighbor, by the way, is not your next-door neighbor. It could be your next-door neighbor, but your neighbor can be your brethren. They could be family. They can be a friend or even someone at work. You might be mad that they got something you didn't. And this is an important one to mention because you've heard me say now many times that we're being tested. And I've been showing you some of the ways in which we're tested. And unbeknownst to many, and like I was just saying, sometimes God can test two or more people at once. And in a jealousy test, for example, God might bless one person to see if one or more are going to react in jealousy. And on the surface, you might think that sounds cruel and unusual, but it's actually so as to show the person who is envious or jealous 
their sin. You know, it's showing them what's actually in their heart so that it comes to the surface and they may repent. You know, God's not going to bless you with the same thing if you're continuously coveting after it or your motives are wrong. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 say, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown by peace by those who make peace. And really, guys, when you stop and reflect on it, wouldn't coveting and jealousy be a form of idolatry? Because if you're seeking God first, then these things shall be added unto you. That is, if it's in God's will. But if you're first seeking after what someone else has, then it would be idolizing something. And then that gets you into the sin of coveting or jealousy. And this is a big one because it's easy to get jealous when you're praying for something over and over and then you see somebody else get it, but then you didn't, at least not yet. And jealousy can, and it does give birth to anger. It gives birth to bitterness. It gives birth to pride. And we want to watch this carefully, guys, because it's getting very late in the hour. You know, James 4, verses 1 through 6, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Remember that even after you pray, that God has a timing for everything. It doesn't mean that he's not going to answer your prayer. It's just there's likely a timing on it, or there's something in your heart he wants to show you before he answers the prayer. Sometimes he shows you why something you pray for may not be a good idea. I've had that happen to me. And that's what verse 3 means when it says, you do not receive because you ask amiss. You know, could it be that there's a sin you are unknowingly engaged in that I've talked about today? that the Lord wants to see you repent from first. You know, it's up to each of us to reflect on that, and we also need to remember that everything has a season. And we don't want to grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. And that's quoting Galatians 6, nine. You know, I know many of you have been in a season of waiting and start to grow weary after a while. Believe me, guys, I'm growing weary at times too. And I've been waiting on several things the Lord has told me. I mean, if 2023 was up for a nomination when it comes to waiting, I think it's safe to say that it wins the award. Maybe aside from 2020, but that's a whole other podcast. And for some of you, it's been longer than that. Some have been waiting for years for things that the Lord told them. 
But remember Sarah, she was told she would have a child. And how long did it take? And what I'm trying to encourage you in is to say that if you find yourself slipping into a form of envy or jealousy, remember one verse out of all verses, and that is Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, the last example for today. As I just got done quoting, jealousy can give rise to anger and bitterness. And what does the word say about anger and bitterness? Ephesians 4.26 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Giving a foothold to the devil. Now, where have we heard that before? 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So what happens when you allow anger or bitterness to envelop you? What happens when you make that a routine, like every time you feel something's wrong? It gives the devil a foothold. And just like lying, it can destroy relationships, and it can hurt our relationship with the Lord. Hebrews 12.15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So how can it corrupt you? Well, it's an element of pride. Pride leads to unforgiveness, which is the opposite of mercy. Pride leads to anger, which is the opposite of love. James 1, verses 19 through 20 say, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. You know, in layman's terms, if it's left unchecked, it breeds hate. It breeds resentment. Ecclesiastes 7.9 Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Proverbs 29.11 A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Proverbs 19.11 A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You know, forgive those who trespass against you. Now, there are many caveats where it comes to anger and how to deal with it. You know, anytime I've gotten upset with someone, even if I feel greatly slighted or that it's unjust, do you know what I do? I pray. And if someone else is involved, I pray for that person. And do you know what the Lord tells me? Few words. Forgive them. And if I forgive and they do not answer, he says, let go. Forgive them and let go. Now, if they are being hateful or unleashing wrath, putting their anger on display, or they're just acting like they don't care, the main part is to keep your side of the street clean. We're not to take vengeance. Vengeance comes out of anger. So if you do that, then you're just as bad as they are. And Romans 12.19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know. God will give time for someone to repent, but it's when someone continues in anger, they have to watch out. And we have to watch this, guys, because many of us have or do fall into anger at times, even if we don't mean to do it. But you know, just like worry, can anger really add a cubit of stature to your life? You know, there's the old cliche, life is too short to stay angry. 
Life is too short to stay mad. And it's true. If we stop and think about it, what does it really accomplish? It takes more energy to stay angry than to forgive and move on, or to forgive and make amends. And honestly, it just adds unneeded stress, which is the opposite of peace. You know, I just quoted Romans 12.19 a moment ago, but go back a verse, Romans 12.18. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, if someone continuously stirs strife or is constantly getting you upset in one way or another by continuously doing the same thing over and over again, you do still have to forgive them from the heart, but you're not obligated to continue talking to them. You know, we're told to turn the other cheek, but you don't have to put up with abuse either. You know, sometimes the cheek becomes a little bruised. Sometimes it's been turned too many times and slapped too many times. And there does come a time where if someone is doing you more harm than good, you have to let them go. And sometimes, guys, it has nothing to do with abuse. It's just time. You know, oftentimes, we're probably hanging on to someone longer than we're supposed to, longer than God wants us to. Sometimes people are in our life for a season, or they're in our life for a few seasons. Sometimes they realize they mess up. They have time to reflect on what they did wrong, and it's possible they may come back. And I'm just going to say that at that point, um, due to where we are, I advise praying on that situation if that happens, so as to gain discernment on what's best to do, especially if there's an issue of trust involved. You know, sometimes someone's just an assignment. You know, in my case, one time the Lord told me that if he puts someone in my life and they don't do what he's calling them to do or they're ungrateful, he will remove me from their life as quickly as he put me there or vice versa. And remember, too, that the Lord knows all things. And sometimes if the person is not sincere, he removes them because there isn't time to be wasted. You know, you got to remember only he knows the heart. Only he knows our true intentions. The heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? But it doesn't even necessarily mean that the person did anything inherently wrong or that anger is involved. But when there's a pattern of stress or tensions keep arising, sometimes it's just best to let go so as to protect both from sinning. You know, it's like that example I used earlier when I was talking about lying and how it's a trust issue. If you know it's time to move on, you don't want to keep holding on while lying to yourself or the other person involved because what happens? Both can grow to resent one another. And you know, as I've been speaking of tests, the Lord could be using the situation so as to show you it's time to move on. He may even have greater things for you to do that doesn't involve that person. But the key is to do it with no hard feelings. You know, it's like the old Sting song, if you love someone, set them free. And sometimes that's the best way. You know, Salvage from it that which is good, the good memories, and let the separation be amicable. You know, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, to gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, to cut it off. For it would be better to enter into heaven with one eye or one hand than to be thrown into hell. And, you know, in the same way, where it comes to anger, Jesus said in Matthew 5.22, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. 
And so, I mean, if it gets so bad that there's contention, it's just sometimes better to part ways. And, you know, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So if you can't come together in the same mind, in the same judgment, if you're constantly going to be at odds, where's the peace in that? Where's the fellowship in that? Psalm 37, 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. So note the word fret. What is the definition of fret? Well, one part of it is worry, but fret is the expression of discontent. And if it's left unchecked, it can make us look foolish, especially if it's over something trivial. And not only that, anger can cause us to make bad decisions because when we're angry, we're not thinking clearly. And if we're acting irrationally, it can cause us to miss blessings. It can cause us to miss the greater good. And guys, the reason that anger is such an important sin to mention is because we're going to have to come to the realization that we're going to have to endure several hardships in the future. And not just hardships, but persecution. And during that time, we're still going to have to endure patiently and still pick up our cross. Because, believe it, there are going to be a lot of injustices. And we're already seeing some of those now and seeing the pump being primed for more. You know, many of you are already going through the patience tests and trials. I know I've been going through them for at least a year now. You know, they, this is why I did the stretching of the faith. A few months ago, I said, sometimes he stretches your faith. It retracts, stretches it some more. That's what I've been going through. And guys, patience tests are never fun on their own. But you see, this is why God tests us and refines us, because he's building our faith for the times to come. Now, James 1, 3 and 4 say, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And you might remember that just a little bit ago, I was saying that 2023 was the year for winning the award for waiting. I mean... I know all of us have experienced frustration just when trying to get things done that used to take mere minutes. Some people are waiting to move. Some people are trying to get help. You know, another frustration, for example, you might call to straighten out a bill or you need tech support and you're getting passed around to like, I don't know, five people. And then on top of it, you're getting hung up on or disconnected. So then you have to call back and go through all the automated prompts once again. And you get transferred to somebody in, oh, I don't know, India, for example. And the connection is so bad, you can barely hear them. And then they have to repeat back every word to you with a letter. And you have to keep explaining the same issue over and over again. I know it's grating. Trust me, I get it. But that's just one example. And I mean, I'm sure that some of these are attacks by Satan to get us riled up. But the point is, God can allow them to test us. He tests our patience. He tests us to see if we're going to get angry. You know, a good example, look at the Lord's servant Job. Look at the book of Job and all the things that happened to him. His faith was tested through and through. And in the end, God blessed him immensely because he remained faithful. Think of what Jesus went through. Guys, 
There is nothing that happens to us that did not happen to Jesus or one of the apostles, disciples, or the prophets. And remember, they are to be examples we follow. You know, on the basis of anger and that very point, let's look to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And that's what God's been doing. He's been training us in that. Proverbs 14.29 says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Colossians 3.8 But now rid yourselves completely of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene, abusive, filthy, vulgar language from your mouth. You know, Leviticus 19.17 says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. And you know, on that verse right there, that's what I was saying at the beginning, that we reprove, rebuke, exhort, and edify. But if there is a constant situation where you can't, then sometimes you have to part ways because you don't want bitterness. You don't want resentment. You don't have to keep taking part in that. And, you know, guys, I close with anger on this podcast because I know that around the holidays, there's often disagreements. You know, there's disagreements between brethren. There's disagreements between family and friends. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree so as to live at peace. Sometimes you're alone. You know, many are alone for various reasons, and sometimes that's not easy. But you know, if you're alone, use this time to pull near to God and better get to know Him. Whatever situation you face, whether you're struggling with any of these sins, whether you're in the fiery furnace, know that Jesus loves you and He wants the best for you. Psalm 46 1 God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. And I'm going to leave it there for now, guys. That's all I have for you. I thank you for listening. May Jesus bless you all, and may he show all of us grace to help us strip off the weights and run this race. God bless you, everyone. Till next time, take care of yourselves and stay vigilant out there.